Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, welcome to In The Pink, the podcast with me, Natalie Pinkham, where I speak to all sorts of different people from all sorts of different backgrounds, find out where they've come from and where they hope to go to. This week, my guest is Michael Carrick. And Michael has played over 400 times for the biggest football club in the world. And yet, he's one of the most down-to-earth, level-headed blokes you're ever likely to meet. To mark the release of his autobiography, Between the Lines, I went up to their Carrington training ground in Manchester to catch up with him. He opened up about his family, his time at West Ham, Spurs and, of course, Manchester United. He talked candidly to me about his heart condition and about dealing with the onset of depression after defeat in the 2009 Champions League final. Here are his views on Alex Ferguson and Jose Mourinho and his own hopes as a coach and manager. He also has a love for Formula One, so he tells me about his hopes to apply some of the practices of the pit lane to the beautiful game. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr Michael Carrick. Well, Michael, I think the last time I saw you was um, at an absolutely packed Old Trafford for your testimonial. And it was amazing because it wasn't long after the Manchester Arena bombing and it, you were able to fill that arena because it would have been an easy excuse for people to say, do you know what, I'm not going to come. But you were able to complete sellout, 75,000 at Old Trafford. Did you walk out onto that pitch and just feel a little bit emotional when you think Wall's End Boy has just ended up here and sold out Old Trafford. You've just got the most amazing lineup of players as well because it was the 2008 Champions League League winners versus an All-Stars as if there weren't enough stars in that one. (laughs) No, it was was definitely emotional. It was um, the hardest thing I'd done by quite some way was to actually organise and produce the testimonial as a game anyway. Um, and then a week before, we got a call to say the concert was was going to happen at the cricket ground, the Ariel Grande concert, um, and they kind of clashed. So then there was a big stress of trying to work out of. Um, obviously, we had planned this for, for months and months, you know. And it was like they were saying you got to cancel it to start with. I was like, you can't just cancel it. People are travelling from everywhere, this and that, whatever. But then obviously, I was well aware of what. The, concert meant to to everyone in Manchester and, and further afield so it was kind of come to some 
arrangement really where both could be a success and, and thankfully yeah on that walking out that tunnel when it was you know pretty full Old Trafford and then kind of hits you of, of, of what it all means you know because mm. up until then it's all like planning and, and guessing and hoping for the best and then actually when it finally happened it's like whoa the, yeah walking out with my kids was pretty special but when the bombing happened did you think you were going to have to call it off yeah, well, like you said, there was there was calls to call it off at one stage. Um, oh, so so I thought you the, meant before the bombing, though, no, because it was, it was a no, clash. It, it was because of the concert. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, there must have been heightened security. I remember you weren't yeah. allowed to take bags in. It was all very no, tight was, security, it was, wasn't it? It was really tight. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that was. Yeah, that was. It was a tough time for everyone, mm. I think, in Manchester. It's like anything when it's so close to home and. Mm becomes so much more real and so much more close to you that um, it's harder to, to take but it's in some ways it's easier to understand so um, you know that what people go through and, mm-hmm. and, and how it affects people um, and actually there was um, some of the victims families were at the game that we mm-hmm. invited to the game and I went and seen them before the game uh, in the box and um, had a chat to them and um, that was tough to to speak to them and, and to be in that situation of um, almost feeling a little bit helpless, if I'm honest. Mm. Um, but yeah, then spoke to them and, and, and had the firefighters there, the police there, and, and so there was there was a big connection with, and I think it brought Manchester together. But it just happened that my game was kind of in the middle of it, and then mm. the concert after it, which was literally a few hundred yards down the road at the cricket ground. Um, so it was a pretty pretty momentous day, really. Mm. Well, as I say, it was a testament to you that that people came, um, and and the players that played were incredible. And obviously, this is all a celebration of your phenomenal uh, phenomenal commitment to Manchester United. Four hundred and sixty-four games. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well done. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't get that from Wikipedia, I promise. Uh, but but also, you know, you've won every kind of domestic honour there is in the English game. So, did it feel to you, list like? I don't know that this was your moment just to let it all sink in. Um, yeah, in some ways, it, I was obviously hugely proud about it. To, to um, but then a lot, you know, the lot of lads them I talk, you're talking about lately, you kind of just teammates, mates, you know, friends that I've had for for so long. And if anything, it was just I said to Lisa, uh, my wife, leading up to the game. In some ways, the, the most thing, the thing I was looking forward to most was being in the change rooms before the game, with, in the warm up, getting changed, and just flicking back into that ten years ago and, and that kind of old environment that we had, and um, and it didn't disappoint. You know, I sat there and had a little moment and seeing the boys getting changed and messing around and laughing and doing the things exactly the same as they had done that long before kick off ten years ago, and um, that was quite nice to to, to take that in and. Um, just soak it on for the lads to be back together again because it's like any sport you win something you move on you know you move on as an individual as a team as a, as a sport things happen and so to, to, to kind of bring it back we didn't have everyone there but most were there and, and the staff and the backroom staff which were just as important in my eyes so it was, it was a special special moment Right so you've written a book this is you know, an well, exciting. I haven't actually written Car- it. Yeah. Well, actually, I don't know because when I read <laughs> well, I it, I, uh, I felt like it was you talking. I quite like that. It was quite colloquial. You well, that's, chatted. That's, that's best the thing you could have said to me, to be honest, because that was what I really wanted to 
get across that it was yeah just me talking mm-hmm. so um quite chuffed with that it, it took a while it was another it was as long as the t- testimonial the book was so much more draining and consuming than I thought it would have been going into it um maybe that's a bit more personality and a bit picky and meticulous and once it got to the stage I was like I'm not happy with that I've got to change that change that change that I ended up doing some of it just myself but Henry Winter was amazing and he never got sick of me saying can you change this can you change that so um, in the end I'm, I'm delighted with how it's come well it's got to be right hasn't it it's got to be yeah it's probably the only one I'll do and um yeah it's got to be right and just me I'm just kind of that way inclined if I'm doing something I'm, it's, it's got to be right you know did, did you enjoy the process? I mean, yes, okay, quite tiring, but actually quite nice to get your life down on paper. Yeah, looking back to little things like when you're asking family and friends, like, can you remember anything from back then? <laughs> and they give me little bits and I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And, um, so we live in quite a bit of the things that you got a vague memory of when you're little as a kid, but until you really start chatting to people, things start coming back a little bit more. And, um, so that was really enjoyable. Mm. Um and some of the things was kind of the first time I'd really spoken about, sat down and spoken mm. about to anyone. So cleansing seems a bit extreme to describe mm. it like that, but you know mm. what I mean? It kind of was the first time that I maybe got some things off my chest. So um, that was quite nice in a mm. way. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it from start to finish. But it, I found it quite tough at times. Mm. Bit of therapy. Mm. Um, you, you described yourself just then as meticulous. In the book, you describe yourself as clinical, quite objective. Also shy pops up a few times. Um, does all that sum you up quite well? Anything else you want to add to that? <laughs> <laughs> Covered it off. Yeah, how long we got, yeah. Um, <laughs> this is another therapy session, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, shy was probably more when I was younger, I think. I, I wouldn't say I was shy. I'm probably a bit more reserved, probably reserved a bit as I've grown and, and matured a little bit. But yeah, certainly when I was a kid, I was really quite shy and a bit naive, really. Um, but yeah, I can be quite stubborn and quite cold at times, so I'm told. And um, Especially when I was playing, I think, when when I was so focused on um, being at my best and performing, I was I was quite stubborn with that and what I needed to do. So um, I had a family around me that kind of allowed me to do that. So um, I, was, I was quite lucky with that. How do you think your personalities determined your, your destiny in terms of your career? Because <clears throat> you say you're shy, but you were still brave enough to go all the way down and sign for West Ham, which is a long way for a, for a teenage boy to to go. Yeah, it is. And I look now, I think that was a big move. That yeah. really At the time, it was... Um, I just loved West Ham when I was I went when I was 13, 14 and I just really enjoyed it and felt at home there so it wasn't um, it wasn't really a decision to make it was just mm. felt natural until I actually the day I kind of moved there and then the, the weeks once I did get there when I was 15 it was kind of a bit of a oh this is a bit of a move this, this is a bit different <laughs> I'm not used to this it's a bit different to Newcastle you know mm. I was a lot more protected up there but and then initially, a few weeks later, I was fine. It was kind of normal. It was natural again. So at the time, I'd, it's only now when I look back and my mum says, you know, she lost me as, as a 15-year-old because I moved to London. Then my Aww. brother, actually, four years up, four years later, he'd done the same thing. He went to West Ham when he was 15 and moved away. So it was a bit harsh on my mum to, to lose both her boys. But um, that's life, isn't it, I suppose? <laughs> I think that's got to be the hardest thing about being a parent mm. is when your kids leave, you have to redefine yourself. But 
that's enough a podcast for another day. <laughs> but what about your parents' influence on your life? Because you say you had a nice, calm upbringing, you know, that you always felt secure and loved. How important yeah, is that? Ma- massively. I think that's the, the biggest thing I could say. I, was, I mean, we, we, we didn't have everything by any means. Um, I wouldn't say we, we struggled, but, we, you know, my dad worked away quite a lot to, um, to give us the life we had. But I was just happy. I remember, you know, when you look back and the best thing I think for me and, and what I try to do with my kids now is just for them to look back and think you know I was happy as a child and I enjoyed doing the things I did and it was you know trying to make less things affect them and mm. um, obviously letting them grow and develop because you, you've got to grow up and you don't want to pamper them and, and, and spoil them or anything like that but mm. I just remember being happy and um, there was never any pressure to do anything apart from my school work that's the coffee machine, by the way. <laughs> Wasn't Michael's stomach? Yeah. Um, there was never any pressure for them football-wise. Um, yeah. It was just a case of you can go to football if your school work's done. Um, but there was never at all any pressure of before or after a game from from my mum and dad about do this, do that. You didn't play well today. You done great today. It was just kind of a level. Did you enjoy it? go and have fun and yeah. um, I think that helped me immensely it's funny isn't it because you always think of like top sportsmen and women they've got these like parents like really yeah. pushing them every yeah. step of the way and actually yeah. sometimes I've that has been yeah I know, I know I'm sure you have I think we all have it yeah. at some stage yeah but that can have the, the adverse effect can't it so yeah I was going to say I've seen plenty of them and, and by the time sort of the, the lads get to a certain age it's almost like they've had enough they're burnt yeah. out they can't yeah. take it anymore yeah. because that fun element's just gone out yeah. of it um don't get me wrong, Lisa, it comes at a point where that, that fun element does taper off because it becomes becomes a job, you know, you're making a living and, and there's pressures and all sorts of things, but I think if you're taking away a kid's childhood, to, mm. it's, it's just not something that I, I agree with, to be honest. But that real family ethos certainly something that was coming through West Ham the whole time. And is that why you loved it so much? Because you were definitely part of a, of a gang of real characters when you were there, and almost like your version of the class of '92. Um, you know, all sorts of a mix of you know Rio, Joe Cole. Um, you even had De Canio. My God, I used to grow <laughs> yeah, up yeah, yeah, yeah. being so I intrigued by him. No, he didn't quite fit. But 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 what was it like being part of it? I loved it. I really did. I think because I was kind of shy and naive as, as, as a as a kid, um, going to West Ham was the was the best thing I'd done to move away and, mm. and grow up uh, and experience kind of a different world, really, different characters, um, big big characters, and just so different to me uh, that it did change me. I wouldn't, you know, it. I am what I am, and you, you know that's your personality is set that way. But at the same time. Um, Going into that dressing room was daunting at times. Some of the characters, like, and it, it was different then, you know, it was a bit old school then. So, you know, you could almost, um, there's punishments and things that went on then. Maybe. I don't think I want to know. <laughs> no, I'm trying to figure Initiations, out. Initiations, yeah. yeah, I bet. Yeah, oh just, my... it, was just, it was just more ruthless, I think, as an environment than mm. it is now. It's a lot more friendly and a lot more accommodating, I think. Well, they don't have social words. media back then, so don't you couldn't be exposed. <laughs> yeah, they could get up to things maybe that HR wouldn't be too happy with no, these exactly. days. Um, but yeah, I was just growing up, and I, and I remember going back after six months back to Newcastle and, and um, realising then how much I'd kind of grown up so fast see my mates and they were doing the sim- similar things that I had done when I left going to college sixth form and stuff um, and I realised I had 
jumped quite ahead of them in terms of um, as I was as a person, really. Mm. Um, still my best mates and still are today, so that, <clears throat> that's not changed. But you can see you see the difference with me in six months. So it was a, it was a massive massive kind of crossroads in my life. I think that. And they called you Spuggy. Spuggy. Yeah. Spuggy. Yeah. But hang on, Spuggy was a girl. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where it came about. <clears throat> to be honest. Little ginger kid from Biker Little Grove. Ginger kid, Biker Grove. Yeah. Quite um, cute. I thought she was cute, but I mean, I don't yeah, no apart from the really accent, I'm not sure I see any similarities. <laughs> Even the accent of mine's gone yeah, now a little yeah, bit. Has, it's been knocked out of you. Yeah, it's been gone now. Oh. It's been too long. But yeah, just something that I'm, when I was 14, 15, uh. the lads just, that's the only thing that at the time they knew that was probably from Newcastle. So, oh. and it stuck from then. Um, and then moving forward, fast forwarding to your move to Spurs. Did that was that born out of the fact that you just needed to get Premier League football again? Were you just sort of over Championship after rele- relegation? Yeah, it was just a time where I said say about crossroads there, about moving to West Ham. Tottenham was one of them as well. I got in the first team, um, had some good times, then we got relegated, um, and I was wasn't playing great either. And mm. I was only twenty one at the time, twenty two, um, still a baby really. Um, and it was just a case of I needed to for my own. Mm. career really and um, I needed to try and get back to the top and that was the that was the move that came about at that certain time there was all sorts of things that could have happened at that yeah. time different clubs different if this had happened then I might have gone there if someone else had done and when I look back now I realise that actually that was a pivotal time in my career mm. that because I could have easily gone down some other path and I was close to going Portsmouth for instance yeah. and then they um, and what, why didn't that happen? <clears throat> Portsmouth didn't happen because Arsenal came in right. at, um, overnight and then Arsenal pulled out. So that didn't go Portsmouth or Arsenal as it happened. And then Tottenham came in after that. So it was just um, a sequence of events that mm. was out of my control but led to shaping up kind mm, of mm. How, how my life would go after that, which at the time you don't re- you're just going along with it. Yeah. And it's when you look back and you, know, you think, actually, things could have been... A, an awful lot different. Yeah, sliding door moment. Yeah. 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 Uh, how do you view the club now? Do you feel that um, that Spurs have got the financial backing that they need to really battle it out with the big boys? Do you think they can sustain uh, that level of performance? I think they're in a good place. Obviously, the, the training ground um, is very good. The the new stadium um, being close to completion now is is a big thing for them. Um, I think the key is. It's always keeping hold of your best players and improving whatever team you are. You want to keep your best players and, and improve that squad. Um, and they're at that stage now, you know, to trying to win something, mm-hmm. trying to trying to achieve something. Um, but certainly, all the blocks there are, are in place for them. Mm-hmm. It's just that next step, isn't it? It's like every, what everyone's trying to achieve of, of winning trophies is kind of where you're judged. Which is exactly why you moved to Manchester United. How hard a decision was that? Was it head versus heart? That was probably the easiest decision, I think. Really? It, it wasn't even a decision. It was just as soon as they came calling, it was the only thing that that um, I just had to get here. You know, it was one of them times that at the time United were first and second every year in the league, mm. um, and at Tottenham we were, we had finished fifth in the league. So although we were getting closer, we, there was still a big gap and. I mean, it was just for two years before that I was playing in the championship with West Ham and then for United to come in it was just like what a summer that was and 
And they paid a lot for you, didn't they? They obviously they wanted at you. The time, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing paying that much at the time. Now it looks a bit of a snip when you yeah. compare yeah, well, it to these prices. Yeah, yeah. But at the time, I was thinking, I can't believe they paid that for me, to be honest. Um, but yeah, they did. Daniel Levy, the chairman of Tottenham at the time, kind of uh, stretched it out and stretched yeah. it out and got all the pennies that he could get. So fair play to him. Uh, yeah, that was it. Yeah, and it was it was the summer. I was at the World Cup with England as well. So it was a it was a crazy summer to mm. be at the World Cup and getting a call off Sir Alex to say, you know, we're going to come. Don't worry, we'll hang in there. We'll get you. And um, thankfully, in the end, it all all happened quite nicely. So go and describe the emotions of walking in because I, I can. Anyone would uh, feel nervous about walking into his office on, on day one. How did you feel as the new boy? Yeah, I was anxious. I mean, coming in here anyway, you know, walking into the training ground anyway, is like it's it's quite a big um, kind of... Compared to Tottenham at the time, it was a small yeah. training ground in Chigwell. This, stepping into this felt like a different world. and um, Yeah, I was kind of anxious, a little bit nervous. Um, I knew a few of the boys before, but through England, but not to the extent of... Mm being like really close to them so it was and Sir Alex I hadn't really met him until I came f- to the training ground um, mm. finding my way around this place is odd enough anyway with well, all the doors and where do you go and where's yeah. whatever but oh, when you come down because I just came down for, uh, in a cab from Stockport station yeah. and it feels like really clandestine like you, you're going to like MI5 or something <laughs> you go down this long kind it's of driveway away, yeah. really tucked away yeah, yeah. But it just adds to the intrigue and the mystique of the yeah, place, doesn't and, it? And just coming in was, just, yeah. So finding <laughs> me, finding me way around was, was codes on all the doors and everything. Yeah. And it's, so that was probably the biggest problem. But yes, yeah, sitting in Sir Alex's office that first day was, it was kind of a, one of them moments where you think, is this really, is this really happening? Am I really sitting here? Mm. And and at the same time, intimidating. You know, he's got such an aura. Mm. Um, even now, he's still got that mm. aura that. How do you describe it? It's very tough to, when people ask me about how do you describe when someone's just they just carry themselves yeah. and they just give off something that yeah. affects people around them, you know. Mm. It's amazing uh, to see him back to good health as well, isn't it? I mean, that oh, was incredible. Yeah, that was bloody close. Yeah, it was. Um, it's incredible to see where he is now. So mm. We've seen him the other week and he looks great. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's shook. the response and the support that he got mm. over that time mm. was kind of blows your mind the amount of people that he affected it was it was just I mean there's who else in the world is almost can touch that many people there's yeah. not many people yeah. he's, he's right up there as, a, as a, one of the most important people which is yeah. mind-boggling really. yeah quite like across all the clubs mm. absolutely um so bearing all that in mind how tough was it for you that and how much of a shock was it for you that he chose to leave was that 2013? Uh, it was 2013, yeah. yeah, it was a bit of a shock. I mean, it was coming to... Obviously, wasn't getting any younger as, as, mm. as, as, a, as a manager as well. And um, there was there was, there was was always talk at some point during mm. the season of was this his last year or, what, or how long has he got left. But certainly that came by surprise. And, mm. and um, I remember when he told... We've, we've, as it does nowadays, news kind of leaked out and mm. filtered out the night before. So um, I know he was disappointed with that. He wanted to tell us first... And he came into the changing room and um, here actually, and one of the, and on the morning, and, and broke the news to us mm. kind of officially and told us. Um, and that was kind of a moment I'll never forget. It was quite a strong moment. Um, 
and do you know the, the weirdest thing? I said in my book, actually, weird. Do you know you remember crazy things from Sir? I don't know why I remember. I just remember he had some like bright. He had some uh, socks, like really bright socks on. I don't know why I remember he had. He came in really casually. He was never normally casual. It was either a suit or a tracksuit. Yeah. But he came in like chinos, loafers, and a t-shirt, and he had some like really bright socks. And I remember just looking at my finger. Socks are horrendous. <laughs> Did you tell but him that? But no, 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 the no biggest, the, the biggest no day. You know, he's just coming into an answer. Yeah, why do you remember that? Yeah. Well, you're probably, you're probably a bit focused on them as a sort of distraction te- technique from yeah. not having to face up to the big news. I don't know. Weird, Psychologists would tell you well, why I, you did. I knew, I think we all sensed at that point that you could feel like um, the emotion kind of, yeah. of tension in the room, if you like, and it yeah. was everyone knew like this is, mad, this is yeah, such yeah. a big moment. Um, yeah, but it's funny how colours and smells take you back to something. Yeah, you smells, do just pick up yeah. on this one thing. Yeah. Um, I don't want to digress too much, but I'll tell you one really quick story. My mum's a lawyer, a barrister, and one of her clients um, would freak out if they came into the room and there were flowers in the room. She bought right. her some flowers and there were some flowers in the room. And she'd just freak out with the colour and the right. smell of these flowers. Anyway, she did a bit of um, CBT, the, you know, the cognitive... Like hypnosis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, yeah. And they established that she was a victim of domestic violence. She went running from her abusive husband and she ran onto the road. As she was hit, about to get hit by the car, she inhaled the smell of pink flowers. No way. And forevermore, the, the smell and the sight of those took her to that moment. Oh, Isn't that bonkers? And she didn't, she didn't know she that didn't. that's why she was scared of flows. Crazy what the brain can do, isn't it? Anyway. So that's why the sock sticks with me. There you go. That's your theory theory answered in a very roundabout way. (laughs) What do I know? Um, And then what about his successor? Because anyone is going to find those shoes very big to fill. And you've talked... You've spoken before about feeling a bit sorry for Moyes, that it was was always going to be tough for him, wasn't it? Yeah, it was always good. It was tough for anyone, I think, because the club was so set in its ways... And so stable with mm. Sir Alex and David Gill being um, chief executive uh, for so long, and both leaving together, there was there was there was always going to be change in some way, and it was just how it was dealt with. But um, I think it was for the players as well. A lot of us had been here for a long time with them. Mm. Some most of the lads longer than me, even so, it was the whole thing just kind of got unsettled, and um, unfortunately, you know, it did. That season just didn't work for us mm. as, as players. I mean, I'm first one to blame myself. So, you know, before you blame anyone else, I think mm. you've got to look at yourself. And that was me. And you, it's just frustrating and kind of you think all that work to put in so long to yeah. establish that, and then it, it can um, it can be affected so quickly. But you also said that you were quite hurt when people said the players weren't trying. And I guess that's a really easy accusation to make. And and you know you looking at recent results here at the club I know a lot of people are throwing that around about the current crop of players is, I mean is it fair from the outside to look in and say that because they, we, none of us know what goes on behind the scenes no, I, th- I mean what's fair I don't it, mm. you're there to you you know it's playing for Man United you know that you're, going, you're there the scrutiny's there the expectation everything's there and, you, and you've got to deal with it both ways you know mm. when, when things are well you're getting you're getting all the pats on the back um, and you can enjoy their moments and then on the flip side when it doesn't quite go so well no matter how big or small then there's criticism and, mm. and however fair the criticism is you're going to get criticised and you've kind of got to deal with it 
it's just the one of like the passion and the when they say you're not trying it's mm. it's and everyone has good days and bad mm. days um i think that's the the key is the best stay at that level for for longer over a period of time really and and we, and we had done for so long and for me personally i can only, I can, you can only speak for yourself in this situation mm. but I, I was trying everything if not probably too hard because things weren't going well so you start overthinking it what am I doing wrong What when I'm playing well what was what was I doing that worked and mm. um, and you end up doing things that maybe you wouldn't normally do and what, just trying too hard maybe trying too hard mm. and you're kind of overthinking it then and and sometimes you just you know confidence or belief mm. or mm. something or you just, you just you're just not playing well mm. for whatever reason mm. I think um, I think though at the moment you know in layman's terms if someone watches the TV and feels that a player can turn it on when they want to but they don't always choose to that's when fans have a problem I'm thinking obviously of Paul Pogba mm. like that back heel that saved the game against Newcastle yeah. recently you know the guy's incredible talent mm. but they want to see it more especially with the price tag that he came with they want to see it week in week out as as a, as a, as a player like you say any top player but you know I find it easier to speak about this club I think you you just the expectations there and the scrutiny is there and nowadays every little move you make every facial expression everything is just Mm. people leap on it and judge it Um, but you know the lads are humans you know human beings you make mistakes you do good things you you do things that you shouldn't do Um, it's frustrating it's frustrating for us for me playing it's frustrating more for me personally, when I wasn't playing well, never mind the criticism which was coming. I think mm. it's more frustrating from within because you know that like, what am I doing? I can do so much better. It's mm. not working, and you kind of yeah, you try and second guess it and you try and overthink it. That's a, the easiest way I can explain it. And then by doing that, you complicate mm. things, and, and then it goes downhill. But certainly the trying one, I think it's just it's probably too easy to throw like oh he's not trying or mm. it's. it's it's definitely not the case when you stand there and you look the lads in their eyes or you see them after a game in the changing room um, and me being there myself, that feeling it gives you is the empty feeling, the, the disappointment um, and you take it home with you, you know. You t- this, as much as I've tried over the years to not take it home and, and affect the family type, it, even if you're not showing it, it's there in your head constantly and mm. walking down the street, you, people are looking at you and you think, oh, got beat on Saturday and you, you just can't get away from that feeling. Yeah, it consumes all your thoughts and as you say there's no hiding place you know no, particularly now with social media and as you say every single camera angle is picking yeah. up on everything. Yeah yeah. there's no getting away from it and that's some people enjoy it some people embrace it some mm. people struggle with it and that's, that's the biggest difference I felt coming here was the, how much it takes over your life mm. rather than Tottenham was a kind of a I could play a good game every two or three games if if that's how it went and people say oh he's a good player but come here and you just can't get away with that yeah yeah um so you've either got to go with it or you fall by the wayside mm. um now I, w- I want to talk about Mourinho coming to the club I'm not skipping over Van Gaal because I know Van Gaal but I know that he was just a very different person you say that you learned a lot from this pretty intense guy um, but let's get to Mourinho because that's more interesting. Okay. You talk in your book, you really what, kind of wax lyrical about how excited you were about him coming, that he's obviously got an incredible proven record. And he's somebody that you have obviously uh, worked a lot with as a player and then a coach. Um, just tell us, first of all, about the signing of Mourinho because 
This is when Sky F1 gets a mention in the book. <laughs> Sky Sports F1, because you're in Monaco for the Grand Prix, you're yeah. a big F1 fan, yeah. and this is when you first heard a whisper that uh, Mourinho might be coming. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember actually, I had. Um, I was with your husband when I actually yeah. that time. <laughs> um, the less said about that, the better. Yeah, I reckon. probably. But we, um, you were just on a jolly, whereas we were trying to work hard. Yeah, you were trying to work, <laughs> so you say. Yeah. But, um, so, yeah, we had been out the, the night before. Um, at this stage, I didn't have a club. I, I was didn't think I was at United. And then I was doing an interview um, the next morning, and, and the sky was a little bit worse for wear, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't show. On the, on the right. energy station, blurry eyes. But, um, yeah, and they were asking me about Jose in, in United, and I, I said, yeah, I've looks like um, a good move I think it's, he's obviously a great manager he's done so much blah 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 and then uh, when I got home from Monaco then I got a call off Jose to say um, that he wanted me to, to stay on at United so uh, there you go Sky F1 got the we got the, got the first one yeah, yeah there you go <laughs> who knew a football exclusive would be broken on an F1 <laughs> channel there you go Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Um, but how has your relationship sort of evolved from being a player to a coach? And does he come to you for advice? Does he delegate quite a lot to you? He's been he's been fantastic with me. He's given me, um, you know, the situation I'm in at the moment. It's obviously my first job after being a player. So there's a huge element of kind of learning and trying to soak up as much as I can to improve myself. But at the same time, that do a job, you know, there's a responsibility there. So he's um, he's been great with me. He's given me he's given me plenty of things to do he's giving me um, at the same time he's trying to help me and, and mm. develop sort of what I can over time and um, I couldn't have asked any more from him he's, he's to give me this opportunity anyways is kind of I never thought you'd get this from um, stepping straight out of football to be involved with the first team so that in itself is, is massive for me but um well, he said he want, wished that you were 10 years younger, so he obviously really valued you as a player, mm. wanted to get another decade out of you on the pitch first. Yeah, I kind of wished I was 10 years <laughs> <laughs> We all do, mate, well, yeah. we all do. <laughs> um, 
yeah, there's element of that, and I think you just got you just got to accept where you're at as well. Mm. You know, like even when the last couple of years playing, I kind of knew look, look this is um, this time's time's gone ticking, time's up, and especially after I had the heart kind of mm. um, condition, it was that, that was it. It was decision was made. So I think my biggest one was I don't want to be sitting here when I'm. 40, 45, 50, still talking about, oh, I was a footballer. <laughs> I want to be like, have something else to see, you mm. know, whether it's football or whether it's something totally different. I always had that focus of, right, I can't be sitting here thinking oh, I'm still a footballer when I'm 45 years old. Mm. I've got to move on and my, my life's got so much more to do. Mm. So, um, In the words I've, of Anna and Elsa, let it go. Let it go, yeah. <laughs> I won't sing it, but yeah, let it go. It's a really hard song to sing, actually. <laughs> My kids always try and get me to do it. It's impossible. Yeah, it's not, anyway, not an easy one. It's not catchy. It? Um, so, so what are your duties as a coach? What do you actually do on a day-to-day basis here? Support the manager, basically. Um, getting, getting about um, quarter past eight of the morning. Um, help plan the session for the day, the training session, plan ahead for the next game. Um, whatever, he, whatever he needs, you, know, you there to support and obviously offer suggestions when in, when it's right and um, yeah just support's the biggest one I think to mm. uh, as well as learning for me I'm trying to it, a lot over the first two or three months was quite new for me so it's um, a lot of people think you know you're a player and you kind of know exactly what's going on as soon as you step over to that coach and in that office it's a totally different ball game uh, and you see things totally differently and mm. um, my day to day is massively different and how I prepare for a game and all sorts so um, it's been a, a huge learning curve and at the moment what does supporting Jose mean because obviously <clears throat> before the Newcastle result things were looking really tricky what advice were you able to give him if any no, I think he's a big enough really big enough man to, to know exactly what um, what the business brings and um, he's, he's been doing it for so long being so successful that he knows what works and what doesn't and um, yeah, but there's no escaping the fact that it was no, like the were, worst track record I, I, I in 29 years. I think that's, I guess, go, go back to a bit as a player, for me mm. as a player, and you hear that's kind of this club, that's what it brings, that's mm. what the pressure brings both ways, and um, it's something you've got to deal with. I mean, everyone, as players and as staff and as a club, you know, you suffer. Of course you do, you can't mm. hide from it, you suffer, but, um, you know, that obviously the Newcastle game was a big game for us, and. Mm. Um, I mean, when you were two nil down, what were you thinking? Because we were like, I was actually convinced we'd win. Even when you were two yeah, nil down, I was convinced we'd win. Yeah, I thought. Um, that's it. Class off forward. I love it. Positive <laughs> attitude. No, I was genuinely. I remember but saying why? on the bench, "Don't know why. What? What? Where's that? It's just that sense, that feeling. I don't know. I just thought, you know what? It was kind of we had obviously we had a disastrous start and to be too long down so early. In some ways, it was kind of. Um, you could only go one way then we, we had to go for it and I, and mm. I just I just felt that I thought the I thought the lads were fantastic the character you know it's not an easy place to, to be when you mm. um, when you're out there and things aren't going well and um, you know you got a short bit of balls as I say and mm. um, I thought they did that and I yeah I just I just believed you know I just believe I think you got to be positive you know you got to um, sometimes it's weird sometimes you get a sense in game I don't know as a player sometimes you know it could look like the the, the roof's caving in but mm. sometimes you just sense that actually, you know what, we're going to win, we're going to win, and I don't know where that comes from. And then there's other times where you might be, you might be quite comfortable in a game, but there's this little sense of uneasiness a little mm. bit about that. 
I don't know where that comes from, but certainly the Newcastle game was one of them where I thought, no, we're, we're going to be all right here. So maybe the the goals sort of shot them into action. Maybe, just, yeah, but like I said, you know, sometimes you have good games and bad games. Yeah. You know, you have a run of bad games, and it's, of course, it's 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 not ideal. It's not good enough, and there's standards that you know, you, over time, you've got to be better and all sorts of things. But it's a human element, you know, mm. sport, isn't it? You mm. know, um, seeing it in all different sports that. Good teams lose games and mm. and go through a patch where it doesn't doesn't happen. You just it's about getting back to that. That's what tests you. You know, you, mm. I've always found that the, the tough times I learn the most from, yeah, yeah. Um, both from myself and ke- people around me. Mm. Um, that's kind of always been the case. So um, you enjoy the good times when they come. Mm. Um, maybe. I don't know what you think about that. Maybe maybe one of the issues is that a lot of it has been played out in public, the the, the problems at the club. Because certainly in F1, when minute it goes public, it becomes a problem and it starts swilling around and everyone feels like they can just throw mm. their opinion in. Yeah. Yeah, F1's pretty extreme with that as well. Yeah, isn't it? Unbelievable. Yeah. The minute, and, and, yeah. and because the paddock's such a small place, mm. one person speaks out of turn, it's mm. a bit indiscreet, that's it. It blows up yeah. to being this massive storm. And it just feels it intrigues me that paddock, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's so intriguing, like you say. Everything's just so condensed into that. The whole sport is just there for that four or five days. Yeah. The gossip and everything that's going yeah. on. It's just it's intense. So it? different to that kind of I think that's what intrigues me a bit about it. It's so different to what I'm used to and what how we work. That like you say, one thing said to or somebody sees someone talking to someone and it's like boom, it's gone man. Yeah. And it just goes mad, doesn't it, for yeah. the weekend. Yeah. yeah. But there's, there's a lot of cross pollination between football and F1. Do you think there are lessons that can be shared? Um, well, in terms for the sport, you mean, or just? More I'm not like just talking about the partying afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite the same in football. No, that is not. Can get away with it. No. Um, for me personally, I, I'm fascinated with drivers as well, I've, mm. um, and just kind of. Of you lot sticking the microphone in the face just before a race, and then they got to get in the car and zone into that first corner, and I just and perform just like that. We just we're taken away for the night before, and don't see anyone until we walk out pretty much to warm up for the game. We don't speak to anyone. Interviews are there's a one quick one for one person, and then that's it. But it's just so different. I still don't know how the court with the circus of the grid. It's just mental, but. Um, so that's something that I've always kind of looked at and thought how did they do with that um, just so different but mm. it's pure mental isn't it it's, mm. it's, yeah, it's yeah I, I, listen I totally agree I always feel really uncomfortable to, I, but I know the drivers that I, I can think approach brilliant. Yeah. I think it's brilliant it's great for the I fans I'm at home and I yeah. love it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I know they always don't give you almost that yeah. on the grid it's yeah. a little bit whatever but Sometimes you get, and it's just to speak to them and yeah. to be in that position is fascinating. Yeah, so it's amazing. I'm all for it when I'm not involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I was a driver, I'd probably think a bit different. Yeah. But then I kind of, it's just what they used to, isn't it? But it's funny because they there's certain little tells that they'll give to yeah. say, you know, they'll put yeah, their headphones know. on or whatever. Or they just give you a look and you know. But there's also certain drivers that I just know never to go to but yeah. just before. And there's others that are quite open to it. Yeah. And in a way, they kind of want that distraction without being too lost in their thoughts before yeah, yeah, racing that, at, yeah. you know, yeah. 250 miles an hour. they are kind of used to it as well. Yeah, because it's just, always been there. That's just how it is, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And uh, loads of people criticise F1 for being elitist and sort of, you know, inaccessible. But yeah, that's the most accessible thing of 
any sport no. in the world like what other sport could you talk to them just no, before so, they yeah. perform no, <laughs> yeah it, it is it's kind of the extremes though isn't it because yeah. it is the elitist of yeah. the elite but I find it like totally open yeah. I can't believe it even like going up to the paddock club and doing a Q&A like the morning of the Grand Prix yeah. or after quite all, all that sort of stuff yeah. and just having people in the garage when you stand in the garage and people are kind of wandering around the wandering garage, around a bit and around it's, it's don't touch it. Yeah, it's just like so different, so yeah, different. Yeah. So in some ways, they're actually not cut off at all. You could say footballers is a lot more cut off. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. I well, I enjoy it. What about your own sort of coaching ambitions? Where do you, would you like to, you know, perhaps be manager here or another club? Or and are there? Uh, well, I suppose I'm going to try and combine two questions here because um, Manchester United is always known for sort of bringing in young talent through the ranks. Is that a process that you're involved with at the moment here? Do you know about yeah, who we can I'm, get excited yeah, about I'm, in the I'm next def- few years? It's something that I'm interested in. I was, um, when I do my coaching badges, I've done it with like the under-13s, under-14s, so um, and I'm quite interested in that, I think, because it kind of takes me back to when I was young and kind of what you've gone through with that age group. Um, Tough crowd though. Yes, tough <laughs> crowd. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's something that I really enjoy. And then, and this club's the tradition, the history of the club is a kind of a responsibility to mm. produce players to get into the first team. So it's um, you kind of feel that as soon as you're here. And anyway, and obviously being the coach now, I'm trying to link and keep that link all together. Mm. Um, yeah, and hopefully it comes. But yeah, there's definitely a f- sense of responsibility with that. Mm. In terms of where where it leads me, I think I don't want to get ahead of myself. You know, I think it's my f- one of my four f- four months into the into the job into a whole new chapter of my life. So I actually don't know where it's going to where it's going to lead to. Mm. Um, trying to learn learn from from some of the best, and it's it's about opportunity as well. You know, mm. when I go back to the start and the crossroads and what, what path, mm. you know, that that's where I'm at with the coach. You know, I don't know where it's going to lead. I don't know if I'll be any good in the long term. But you know, it's it it because it's new and it's yeah. Just because you're a good player doesn't mean mean you're going to be a good manager. Or that it doesn't go hand in hand. Well, no, so. I mean actually look at some of the best managers and they weren't sort of standout no, players. Even Jose yeah. wasn't. But you know, he didn't um, translate at, at a top level uh, mm. at any time. So yeah, that's it's that's something else that fascinates me. You know, yeah. to see what what's around the corner. But so I'm not pushing. I'm certainly not pushing for this job right now. <laughs> not just yet. All, you never know. It, you might get it sooner than yeah. you think. <laughs> but it's not like I'm not. I'm not. Um, I would never be blase enough to say I mm. want to do this or that, or mm. I've got a plan to do that. I think I t- I'm just taking a step by step mm. and being quite careful with things. Really. Talking of opportunities, uh, do you have any kind of regrets of missed opportunities with your playing career? Because there's a lot of people that say you should have played more than 34 times for England. Uh, no, do you know what? I wouldn't, wouldn't no? say it's regret now. There's been frustrations and times when it got to me a little bit, but then other times I'm thinking, you know what, if you got offered that to me when I was a 10, 12-year-old yeah. kid, to pay 30, 30-odd times my country. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty decent haul, yeah, but I think a lot of people I feel that you're a bit undervalued. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, yeah. But then I look at myself again and think, you know what, there's certain times I didn't play well enough when I played for England mm. to then get that next chance. There's other times when I thought I was playing well and I didn't get the chance, you know what, Life's too short to kind of hang mm. about wondering what mm. what ifs and why mm. whys and yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd yeah I, I wouldn't say I've regrets actually if at the end of my playing career I, I wouldn't have changed anything about it so um, 
apart from winning a bit more. But then that's just, you know, that's how it is, isn't it? You yeah, can't win. Ev- you can't win everything. Can't win. But I, can't, I wouldn't have any regrets about it, no. Mm. Um, and you touched on the heart condition thing. How, how kind of scary was that? Because that seemed to come out of the blue. I'm sure, not least of all for you, but certainly for the fans, it was like what? Yeah, do you know what? I wasn't really. I didn't. I wasn't really scared at all. I was even going through it. I remember it was the Burton game at home. Uh, I started feeling a bit strange and going lightheaded and um, kind of just as if the energy just gone out my body and then all of a sudden it had come back to life a couple of minutes later. It was a weird, it was a weird feeling. And it kind of made sense after I found out that was the problem, that it's kind of um, a regular heartbeat type mm. flutter. And that's the first you knew of it? You didn't know yeah, anything yeah. about that no, no, growing nothing. up? Or? No, nothing. Well, we have, we have tests every year at the club. Yeah. Um, every pre-season we have tests and everything was good as. And, um, yeah, it just came out, came out of the blue. I had a little 10-minute one the, the year before but I didn't think any, I just thought I was, wasn't feeling too well in one of the games what sort of nauseous no it's dizzy. like a, um, ended up being dizzy but it's kind of just like it's, it's tough to explain it's like it's just the life comes goes out you're like almost like you've got no oxygen like your oxygen stops and it's oh just kind of like you just just feel weak that's what it's kind of drained and weak right. but then all of a sudden I, I would feel alright again and then I'd do a few, couple of little runs and then it would be and then my my Head would go a little bit dizzy and a bit lightheaded, and and it got to the stage um, when the problem came where I thought I, I could kind of end up keeling over here and, and fighting. But I, um, and then it, as every time I felt that, I, I would feel alright again. It was yeah. a bizarre feeling. And probably like most blokes, you brushed it under the carpet. Thought I'm, I feel okay again I now. Thought, and I'll be alright. I thought yeah. I thought there was something. There was obviously something. Mm. And I and I told the doc when I went. I went. Doc, I remember that because I had told the doc the first time. And I went, well, that last year, that 10 minutes, I felt a bit fried. I said, I got it again. And he went, all right, OK, come here, we'll have a check. Put, put us in the medical room after the game. Um, put all the monitors on me and stuff. Um, noticed a little bit of something. And even then, I was like, I'm all right. I, f- I felt fine then, because mm. it kind of had worn off, and I was all right. Mm. Got the paramedics in, and they ran. They went and got another machine, an ECG thing. And they said, oh, there's something that's popping up here. But even then, I didn't, it was weird, I didn't... I was like, oh, Doc, can I just go on, please? I just want to go on. Like, mm. No, you've got to go to hospital. I was like, more of a nuisance than anything. I was like, hospital, really? Come on, I just want to go home. And uh, and then he went, yeah, you got to go to hospital. I said, all right, I'll meet you there then. He went, no, no, you're not, you're not, you can't. you got to go in the ambulance. I was like, what? You what? Wind, I was like, you oh wind me up. I was like, you wind me up, Doc, come on. You must have got scared just, at that point. No, I was just, honestly, it was more of a, oh, come on, Doc, just let me drive. I'm fine. Like, I, I felt 100% by, by then. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they'd done some more tests and whatever, and then I, I trained a few days later because they said, "Look, it might never happen again." Um, and with the kind of the one made one detection, if you like, they yeah. say, "Look, it might never happen again, or if it's going to happen again, it'll happen again, and then we'll do something about it." It wasn't like a serious problem; it was more of a kind of a nuisance. So they like. didn't. So they didn't think it could be fatal. No, because no. you do. You know, obviously. Yeah. There was more of a. For what kind of I went through, it was more of a case of like, go and see kind of. But you did have a procedure. You had a. I had a procedure because I trained a few days later and then the thing it just came back exactly feeling the same. So I said, "Don't now, don't we've got to do something about it." And then I had the procedure. Yeah, Um, cardiac ablation is called. Um, And they go kind of through your groin, put the wire and zap. It's like the zap part of your heart to kind of. 
complicated procedure, but it's it's quite common actually. Mm. Since I've had it, quite a few people have said, "Oh yeah, I know, but I've had that, whatever." Um, but it was enough for you to not to want to keep playing, or did you feel like you were nearing the end of your playing days anyway? Uh, well, I ended up coming back. I, that was the October November time, um, and at first he said, "Oh, three for a cardiac ablation." I've I've had people play three weeks, so I was like, buzzing three weeks like as kind of sportsman I was just a knock like, almost like a knock on your ankle I'll be back in three weeks brilliant yeah. um, so I had that in my head but because it was a bit of a um, complication because they couldn't actually find the um, kind of your the heart exact, yeah, find the heart <laughs> size of a pea you told me you were cold <laughs> um, yeah, they couldn't find the exact um, flutter or uh, I don't no, know how no. to explain it. Yeah, the yeah. the, the, the uh, vessel, mm. vessel actually where oh, where yeah, it was okay. going. Yeah. So he zapped around it a bit, but then they've, they've done some other tests in the because re- taking it back the second time I had the um, so I, f- I had it in the game and then I trained a few days later. But I had a monitor on when I was training and it went up to two hundred and eighty odd beats a minute. My heart. Oh my god! But I only found that out the night before the operation because the tests had come back. So then done more tests when I was in so that ablation that was going to be three weeks back kind of got a bit more complicated by then so then it was never going to be three weeks and it went on for for I don't know what it was in the end three months or something before I got back but I was just determined that I knew I'd I knew I'd finish at the end of that season but I was I wanted to get back to a level of fitness so I was like you know at least Mm. I've got back and that hasn't finished me you know yeah Um, so I managed to come back and play two or three more games Mm. and then but I was I was nowhere near it really. I couldn't really? just my age. I was too old, you know. No, but uh, having that have, having that period of time out to then get to a level of fitness of, mm. of being right at the top again, mm. um, I never really got back to that. Mm. But I was quite content in the end. You know, I played a couple of games and I finished kind of fit, uh, and it was my decision. And I've not missed one day since. I've really not missed mm. football at all, really? which kind of tells me that. It was the natural the right time because I think that's the hardest thing for most sports people, isn't it? It's finally yeah. choosing the right time to retire. Hundred percent. So I kind of count myself quite lucky in that respect. That yeah. I've never even trained, even going out with the lads and stuff, and, and every day training. But and, and obviously on the coaching side, I'm not one day ever thought I wouldn't mind getting involved today. Yeah. I've not missed it, so I'm fortunate in that respect. Mm. Um, from the physical to the mental now, we, we've recently marked uh, World Mental Health Day and you talk about the fact that you really struggled after the 2009 Champions League final, losing yeah. it. Um, just tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 stra- it's a strange thing um, to go through, to be honest, for me. Mm-hmm. It was, um, come to United and for three years, we had a great three years, everything was, we were flying, we won three leagues, we we had won the Champions League the year before. We were in another Champions League final, and um, and we lost that one game. And but I don't know. I just after that game, I was so so down after the game. Kind of that such a great opportunity. No one had ever won Champions Leagues back to back, so it was a chance to do that. And it was and kind of the, the fact that we had won it the year before almost was irrelevant. Then it was like we had lost this game, and, and it was a lost the chance to win the Champions League, which is kind of right at the top of, mm. of kind of what you can possibly do and um, it just hit me really hard and I don't know why I don't know to this day I don't know really why and then it hit me hard and I struggled to deal with that somewhere and all I could think I was down about losing the game and then and it's kind of lasted for 
probably a year, over a year. But that wasn't the the only reason that one mm. game, but it kind of just spiralled a little bit after mm. that. Um, it's in, you know, the way it's come out a little bit, and people are saying, oh, the depre- it's kind of depression alongside the Champions League final. Like, I'm kind of a little bit uncomfortable with that because mm. it doesn't seem fair to kind of put depression with a Champions League final, if you know what I mean. It's yeah, kind but of. But it's all relative. No, isn't it's it? relative. And mm. prob- I probably was depressed, mm. but then to say, do you understand what I'm getting? It's I actually to- I totally depression. Do because, yeah. It's like, it's quite a big thing. And I'd, yeah. Well, you don't yeah. want to you don't want to sound like you're belittling someone else with depression, but I think everybody's case is yeah, unique. Yeah, I think everyone's different, and it wasn't. I don't think it was the case of just that final. I think maybe mm. it was just the time, and I was whether it was kind of almost an exhaustion of coming to United and, and kind of push myself so hard for mm. them few years of just literally everything, giving everything, sacrifice, mm. and, everything, and then I just that one, and I just dropped off the edge, and I just mm. kind of was couldn't cope with it right. um, so I struggled Foot, my football I was played terrible that next season but it wasn't so much just it wasn't the fact that I was just playing terrible I just kind of just got f- down with it all I was almost mm. this year if it had finished then I'd be like you know what I've had enough of football I can't mm. just come to the end I've had enough um, I never really got to that end but you know what I mean yeah. I was thinking at that stage you know what if I finish tomorrow and then, yeah. um, but it was so just yeah, as I said, to use that as a kind of depression when it's put alongside the Champions League final makes me a bit uncomfortable. But the fact that it it, it wasn't just that, it yeah, was kind well that, of it went deeper than that, yeah. you know. So it was, it was obviously a catalyst. You yeah, know? it was a catalyst. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was tough, but I, I was quite gone back, quite being quite stubborn really, and I didn't uh, didn't really share it with many people. I mean, Lisa knew, Lisa knew, my mum and dad knew, but I didn't let on to them the full extent. My brother knew a little bit, but try to just. Maybe, I don't know if it's old school, you just kind of I'll just get, deal with it myself and mm. get through it, which is not really the right thing to do, mm. I don't think. But and, and has it helped opening up about it? I don't mean today, I just mean yeah, generally. Like no, do you know what, up. to be honest, I've, I come through it, it was probably about a year, 18 months maybe, and then um, it got to a stage, I was just craving playing well again and having mm. that feeling before the Champions League final where kind of I was playing well, we were winning and everything mm. was good again and that's mm. kind of the feeling that I was craving all this time. Mm. Um, I mean that's a massive high that most of us will never will ever experience yeah. so we can't begin to understand what then the contrast afterwards would mm. have been that massive drop as yeah. you say falling off a cliff almost and then there's a the question of kind of doubting yourself yeah. of, of am I actually any good anymore am I good mm. enough to play at this level of and, and then it starts off with that little question little question and you think mm. and then all of a sudden it becomes bigger and snowballs you know mm. um but yeah, so it, but then I came out of it, as I say, eighteen months down the line, and and then it was like one or two games I played, and then all of a sudden that feeling came back where I felt free. It was like a click of a finger moment type, and then almost never looked back. And I'm like, mm. how was I ever feeling like that? And I've never felt like it since. It was. But it lasted a long time. Yeah, it was. A, it was a long time to the stage where 2010 was the summer after the World Cup with England, and I was. Mm. I remember um, when first time Alicia just saying. Oh, I just want to go home. I've had no, I don't want to be here. Mm. And I would I would never have got to the stage where I left the England squad at the World Cup, but it was that's how I was feeling. I just was counting down the days really to get home. Mm. So that was probably one of the lowest bits, and then kind of gradually got better again after that. And and do you think that 
you were playing badly because of your mindset? Like, or do you think your mindset was making you play badly? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Um, or was it big I web? don't know which one. It, well, I think in the end, they're both were killing each other. Do yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it obviously started off with the, the final, and then I blamed myself. Not blame myself, but I was getting down on myself and and then beating myself up over things I'd done in the game, which it's a game of football, really. But also, you're part of a team. I mean, yeah, I know, w- yeah. were others around you feeling the same? Do you think? I think we were all. I think we were all. It's a massive disappointment to mm. lose. Um, and maybe in the past, that that kind of disappointment and that effect losing had on us. Was we used that to spur us on to mm. kind of bounce back. That was almost a motivation. Mm. But this time we just never got to that flip side of using it as motivation. It was kind of dragging me down too much. Right. Um, so what, yeah. I mean, I guess this must happen all the time. We just don't hear about it. I mean, sometimes people stand up and talk about it. Mm. What advice would you give to young men and women who, who might be feeling the same? Just Does talking help? I think talking helps, yeah. I think talking helps. Um it's difficult to say because I think probably if I'd have spoke to someone, I might have came out of it to that of that feeling over time probably sooner, mm. or it might not have got as bad. Mm. Um, but I I didn't speak to anyone about it. I just kind of shuffled on and found my way through it really. Um, but I, I would say, yeah, definitely speak to someone. Um, and I've had a, I've had a, quite an, I say a nice response. It's not not nice to hear people. On, reaching for help but mm. even since it came out around this week with the interviews and stuff mm. that I've had people contact me and saying that's exactly what I was mm. going through can we have a chat or, which I didn't I didn't talk about it for that reason no. I talked about it just because that was kind of part of my story but mm. um, flip side or you know the other side of it is like if, if it can help people then or if I can help people then Definitely. Then there's something in it, you know. Yeah. But, um, why I'm not a counsellor by any means, but I'll just, you know, try and try and help when you can. Yeah. But if people can see one of their footballing heroes going through something that they have, then mm. you know it shows that we're all just human. It's, it goes, it goes back, yeah, like we were saying about the players, and when you play well before, and you say, you know, there's a human element, there's mistakes mm. happen, it's just, and people deal with it all different ways. And I'm sure there's there's lads that have had tough times and careers and tougher than me you know I'm, I'm not saying I was the worst off by any means that was, I'm just telling my story how, mm. how, how I felt but um, yes highs and lows of sport eh? mm. <laughs> why did it feel right to talk about it now because yeah. you came out the other side do you think, you think if you were still in it maybe because I came you, out the other yeah. side I think because I came out the other side and kind of that chapter of my life's closed mm. as well the playing side mm. um, I was. it was never a case of shall I talk about it shall I not it was always I planned for some time really to do a, a book when I finished for a few reasons really for to, for my kids for like family to have I think it's quite a nice thing to mm. to have um, obviously now it's for the foundation all the proceeds of the foundation so that's another reason um, and what does and the foundation support? Um, child projects in Manchester and in Newcastle which kind of the my two main homes if you like um, mm. and it's something that I'm really proud of and kind of passionate about so mm. um, that's been going since the testimonial so it's, that was the catalyst for that and then obviously doing the book I've thought it was a no brainer because I'm not doing the book for any other reason apart from telling my own story and mm. having it f- for myself and my family yeah. and uh, hoping making some 
some money for the foundation as well. So, um, but it was never a case of shall I speak about the kind of depressed side of it or not. It was I'm totally comfortable speaking about it. It was never, mm. never really an issue in that regard because I think because it happened feels like so long ago now mm. as well, and I kind of feel that like I came out of it and um, just felt natural to talk about really. And do you feel stronger for it? I definitely feel stronger for it. Yeah, it's mm. like you were saying earlier, when you have the tough times, you learn more about yourself yeah. and kind of, you, when you come out the other side, you always come out the other side feeling that bit stronger than you probably went in. Mm. So 100% once, I, once that switch flicked and I kind of felt myself again, I felt myself kind of again, but with someone top, you know. Mm. What keeps you awake at night now? Um, it can be Netflix. The next three points. <laughs> the next three points. <laughs> the next three points. So you yeah. now, you, do you feel I like do you find myself waking up, a... wake, wake, waking up in the middle of the night and like making little bits of notes next to my <laughs> bed because <laughs> things are popping in my head about <laughs> football, yeah, coaching, or speaking to someone, or doing this, or doing that, which I've never. I'm a good sleeper in general, and I always, always have been like really good sleeper. But there is times now where the odd time in the night I'm waking up or before I go to bed, and I'm like. <laughs> Is this how it's going to be? <laughs> so do you, you feel like you have switched to a coaching totally. mindset now? You're a manager 100%, there. Wow. 100%. And yeah. so you didn't wake up thinking about the next three points as a player? No, you... never. That's interesting. No. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because you feel like you've got more of an element of more control if you're playing in the game. Mm. Um, totally different as, as, a, as a coach. It's so different. Um but now as a player, I used to sleep. The only night before a game, maybe sometimes a bit, a little bit restless. But that's mm. just. But other than that, nah, I'd sleep like a baby. Just loads of sleep and then deep sleep. I do like my sleep anyway. But now it's a little bit different. Um, what sort of coach can you? What sort of manager can you envisage yourself being? Like who? Who could would you most kind of align yourself to in terms of the way you manage? the players because I think it's one thing having a style of football is another thing altogether mm. being a decent man manager but you seem yeah. quite a perceptive bloke you seem to be able to I think you've got to be yourself haven't you mm. I think within kind of mm. a boundary um, that's what I've always found with coaching managers over the years like you can't try to be something that you're not I think people see through that and actually doesn't work in the long run. I think mm. you've got you've got to be what you are, and your personality kind of shines through. I think that's the respect thing. Is um, what style? I don't know. Did <laughs> I'm you pick up little like bits? Twenty years, and then you yeah, have to yeah, ask yeah, the yeah. players oh, actually yeah. what style yeah, is it. Yeah. It's difficult for, for for me to kind of say that. Really, I just try and be myself. But yeah, you just got to gauge, don't you? The balance mm. between arm around the shoulder or a little mm. little. Liven up, you know, a little, little jab in the ribs. Yeah, just a little liven them up. It's that's something that you just got a sense. I don't think there's anyone that can really teach you that. Because you definitely talk about Harry Redknapp being much more of a carrot than a stick approach. Mm. Like he really encouraged you, and it, you know, right you grew start, yeah. two inches every time he yeah. complimented you, yeah. boosted you. No, I think that's massive. I think Sir Alex used to say as well. To be fair, you give youth the chance, they'll always they'll always feel that bond of wanting to do well for you mm. I remember him saying that quite a long time ago and I, I see that because I've had that with Harry you know there's always no matter what's happened then I've nearly signed for him once or twice since then but it didn't happen but there was always that he gave him a chance you know mm. and I kind of owe a lot to him just for that so I do get that um, and I think that I am a big believer in giving the giving the, the youth a chance because mm. you, you never know what got until 
literally letting them letting them fly you know brilliant well listen wish you all the best with it we will we will watch and support from the sidelines for many years to come when you're managing and winning trophies here at Manchester well, United hopefully hopefully and in the meantime come to a few more races will you yeah I need to actually I need to well it's not really conducive for managing no. coaching to be honest I need Singapore and I want Austin as well I've not been to any of them okay. and Australia first one but you don't want much one though day. no I'm not after much no one day one day Thank you for your time today. Well, I really hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed talking to Michael. I think the thing that really struck me was just how modest and down-to-earth and humble he still is, despite everything he's achieved in football. And even when he was talking about depression, he almost felt a bit embarrassed and guilty labelling it as such in case in some way that undermined or belittled somebody else's plight. But for me, it was so important that he did because here's somebody who is loved by football fans the world over and has seemingly got it all you know lovely family great life and yet still struggled with depression so it goes to show that everybody's fight is unique and if he can inspire or help even one person to deal with mental health issues then it will be worth him talking out so that was great um, actually when we left the training ground um, he stopped and spoke to pretty much everyone we walked past security guards cleaning lady, uh, the lady behind reception. So, yeah, there's no doubt he is a very popular, decent human being. So, Michael, thank you for your time and thank you guys for listening. Um, Please rate, review, subscribe, let me know what you think and we'll be back with our next In The Pink podcast very soon. But until then, bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.